as a managing partner, uh, what's your key responsibilities and how exactly you involved in must challenge work in order to make it thriving and incredibly efficient in this mission? Okay, great. Um, so one slight uh, change in terminology is managing director. I mentioned that only because as a nonprofit, we, uh, we don't actually manage a fund ourselves. Uh, so I don't want to give that impression. Um, so I think of my role as dividing into three key parts. Um, first and foremost, I uh, have the privilege of overseeing a team that works um, directly on our startup facing programs. So we run uh, probably one of the largest accelerators in the world, supporting 100 startups a year. And then by extension now in Rhode Island, uh, uh, close to 135. Uh, so that that is the work in um, identifying what will benefit startups, bringing the resources around them, and then sort of the major operational effort to make that feel uh, smooth and customized to our startups, uh, who we think of as our clients. The second key part of my job is uh, keeping the lights on. So as a, as a nonprofit, our uh, revenue model is uh, certainly some philanthropy, but by and large, um, acting as a strategic partner to corporates who have innovation at the top of their uh, key objectives and initiatives. So we have a team of uh, amazing individuals who work directly with a portfolio of corporate partners, helping them efficiently connect into the startup ecosystem, uh, build brand equity with startups, both in terms of talent and potential partnerships, if not acquisitions. Uh, and then also where we can act as, as extensions of their sourcing and scouting teams. And then uh, the last part of my job, so this would be the third, uh, a leg of the stool for me is the uh, role we play in local ecosystem development. So as a nonprofit, as a non-equity uh, accelerator, our mission is to not only directly help entrepreneurs launch and grow their businesses, but to ensure that the uh, ecosystem around them is mobilized to support them. And so we work closely with government stakeholders, uh, industry uh, leaders, investors, uh, to understand how we can play a role in connecting the dots at certain points, doing work on behalf of the ecosystem, um, et cetera. Uh, let's talk must challenge scope. Uh, must challenge is known as the biggest zero equity tech program in the world. Uh, yes. What's the current scope of must challenge uh, both globally and maybe uh, in Boston programs. For instance, in terms of uh, ventures per batch or maybe per year, maybe you could share some bold numbers because as I know, it's, it's about thousands of ventures. Perfect, yes. Uh, so, so great, you are right. We are um, uh, unique in some ways in the scale uh, that we take on. So uh, as you mentioned, we are global. So we were founded in Boston about 10 years ago, but we now operate uh, across the globe. Uh, specifically, we are in uh, seven locations. So Boston, 
Rhode Island, uh, Houston, Austin, Mexico, Switzerland, and Israel. And we run 10 accelerators out of those, um, out of those locations. Uh, across those uh, 10 programs, we now touch upward or will work directly with over 400 startups a year, uh, but we'll interact with, uh, you know, tenfold of those. So our programs are competitive. We'll, we accept less than 10% of the applicants. So we have the benefit of seeing about 5,000 applications a year across all of our programs. And over the course of our 10 years of history, uh, that, um, uh, that has given us the opportunity to have meaningful impact on the entrepreneurial community and then through our startups on uh, you know, key aspects of the economy. So we've worked with almost 2,500 startups now across our history who have gone on to raise uh, over $6 billion in funding and create 160,000 jobs by our best estimate around the world. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you have a, se a seven main locations. So you tap U.S., uh, Europe in terms of Switzerland, and Middle East in terms of Israel and, and Mexico. How do you divide uh, flows of teams based on geography? For instance, uh, Boston programs is it mostly focused on local uh, ventures, or it also work uh, with the glo global teams as well? That's great. Uh, so it's both. Uh, all of our programs are open. Uh, in terms of uh, accepting startups from around the world. Uh, we have seven of our programs are sector and industry agnostic, meaning they are truly diverse and open programs. Two of our programs are specialized in health tech and fintech. So startups may come around the world, but they're working in those, in those key categories. Uh, what we tend to see in our data is that about three quarters of the startups will be from the region. Uh, and 25% outside. And that differs a little bit depending on the program. Um, uh, but that's, that's about the breakout that we've seen and it's ebbed and flowed over time. Uh, you mentioned that you have a, a two uh, separate verticals in health tech, uh, in FinTech. Uh, nowadays we have many talks about uh, what type of uh, technologies, niches uh, will influence um, our world after pandemic uh, period. So I would love to ask you, what's your top priorities uh, today and maybe in previous year in terms of niches, uh, type of sectors and verticals you support across the whole program? Yep, yep. So, you know, one thing I think I'll mention just before I dive in is that uh, the way our process works is all startups who join our programs are selected by our community of experts. And so Mass Challenge will you know, influence the, uh, the pool of applicants in terms of how we message the focus area of the programs each year, how we source the types of experts we bring in. But at the end of the day, uh, the startups are chosen objectively based on our third party. So there's, um, it's a, a distinction in our process. With that said, I think there are a couple of categories that, that we are excited about. Um, certainly health tech and FinTech are areas we've been very active in we launched a vertical program uh, in digital health specifically about three years ago and followed that up with FinTech with the idea being that there remained a disconnect between the innovation community and the you know, significant needs of, of um, the industry players there. And so our role is actually very focused not only on sort of surfacing top tier innovations, but directly connecting them into the industry players to help drive 
innovators into the systems that need them. Um, the, you know, in a similar vein there, we launched a safety and security focus about uh, two years ago. So this is uh, specific around the Department of Defense and public security and the um, a significant opportunity and need for small businesses to pursue dual uh, dual pathways to you know take commercial pathways and then also play a meaningful role in national security, whether that's here in the U.S. or Israel program has a similar focus. Um, as we look farther out uh, this this year, we launched focus areas in blue technology. Uh, so this is technology applied to the the oceans um, for a couple of different reasons. Um, that I'm, I'm happy to share. Uh, we also have a sports tech track. So it's an emerging area where, you know, our job is to help uh, amplify the opportunities that we see for startups to tackle uh, the interesting and fun uh, challenges that sort of sports and more broadly entertainment face. Uh, and the next leg of the journey we're looking uh, closely at is space and, and urban futures or the idea that our cities, um, as we've seen in this pandemic, are sort of underprepared for the uh, uh, the demands of 21st century life, whether that's um, transportation, affordable housing, um, energy, telecom. And so we're looking to build a coalition of both startups and industry partners who want to lean into that, uh, that category also. Uh, well, Mass Challenge uh, is an accelerator, but at the same time, it's pretty unique. Uh, you work more like an open challenge uh, competition. So I would love to ask you how your model uh, look like in 220 in terms of uh, uh, how teams participate, which stages we uh, pass through, and how it's different, for instance, from 500 startups, Y Combinator, and other programs uh, which we, we know in this industry. Okay, great. Um, so I'll give a quick overview of our process, and then I'm happy to, um, you know, maybe highlight a couple areas where we think we operate a little bit uh, differently. Um, so first of all, as you mentioned, we are a competitive process. So that means all of our accelerators, you know, generally fall into the buckets of we source startups from around the world. We are looking for growth-oriented startups that have both high potential, um, and then also, if and when they're successful, will have a big impact on the world. Um, impact does not necessarily have to be social environmental, it can be on industries um, uh, in addition. Uh, those startups then uh, pass through at least two rounds of judging. So we'll do one round of judging that's sort of a screening and then we'll do in-person. We just finished that here in Boston. So we saw about 250 startups, 202 judges participating in this process all online this year. And the goal there is to leverage the collective wisdom and expertise of industry players, academics, venture capitalists, former entrepreneurs to help us identify the uh, startups, the founders, the technologies that that meet those two criteria, you know, impact and feasibility. Um, startups that are selected then will participate in about uh, five months of intensive programming. So, you know, like many accelerators, we uh, have an array of supports that we put in place from mentorship to curriculum. Uh, we're very focused on leveraging our network to support the startup's uh, business development, um, client development uh, needs, for example. And then the last piece of the puzzle is startups have the opportunity to compete for no equity cash prizes and we'll give away about $2 million total across all of our programs this year. Um, so what makes us different? You know, a couple things we've touched on in this conversation so far. One is 
obviously, uh, being no equity is a major differentiator. Um, you know, that plays out not only in the, oh, neat, you're free, uh, but I think what it means is that we have the chance to work with startups who uh, may not want to take on venture funding yet. So certainly some of our, some of our founders uh, are, have raised and will raise venture capital. In fact, the vast majority will go on to raise venture funding. But it also means we get to work with pretty unique subset of founders who may be coming out of academic labs and are not yet wanting to sort of put a price on their discovery. They want to do that commercialization work, um, customer discovery work first. It may. It also means we're working with founders who are going to take the hard journey of bootstrapping for as long as they can. And so we get the privilege of working or, and some who are very creatively accessing a myriad of grant programs out there, you know, in specifically the Air Force, uh, U.S. Air Force has accelerated the amount of uh, grant capital that they're awarding to small businesses, uh, which can provide very meaningful non-dilutive funding for founders that are a fit. Uh, and so as a non-equity player, we get to work with, you know, the whole swath of high potential uh, companies. The second, you know, key aspect is that we work through our community. So it's not necessarily mass challenge staff that are specifically the experts that startups are leaning on. Rather, we think of ourselves um, as ex excellent at connecting our startups into the vast and diverse network that we've built over the past 10 years. And then the last piece is our scale. So we are big believers in the idea that being surrounded by people who are both the same as you and different than you breed more innovation and creativity and breakthroughs. And so we think uh, there's a real benefit to startups being part of a diverse cohort of startups, some of which they can learn from through similarity and some of which uh, through differences. Uh, just a few years ago, uh, not so many people uh, care about uh, what we call today impact, I mean, in venture capital. But nowadays, yeah. it, it, it became kind of a, a new metric we consider when we talk about uh, ventures. Uh, mm -hmm. You mentioned that um, your judgment is up to a third-party expert, but I believe you have some kind of a view and opinion and, and about which topic. In your opinion, uh, what's the best way to balance uh, between impact metrics and financial sustainability when you screen startups? How you balance it? Yep. Um, brilliant. So this is certainly one of my areas of passion, so I'm, I'm happy to expound. Um, and I've been very excited. So over the, the last 10 years, you've seen a significant rise in uh, uh, not only sort of a uh, set of niche funds thinking about impact, but the number of, you know, quote, mainstream funds that are um, uh, you know, very explicitly or sort of starting to think about impact or at least their social environmental footprint. Um, uh, so that, that's an exciting element. You know, when I think of startups, I think the, the most basic version is um, two things. One is what is the intention of the founder, right? And so uh, recognizing that founders are going to have to make uh, an endless number of pivots on product and market in order to find their way to that, you know, mythical product market fit. Um, to me, focusing on, you know, is that first iteration of the product as impactful as it can be is, is going to be a waste of your time and the founder's time. And instead thinking about what is the problem the founder wants to solve and do I think that's meaningful. And I think, you know, one of the key things in impact, which has been challenging is that 
it is uh, it is a personal thing, you know. And so some people care a lot more about environment, and some people care a lot more about um, equity. And so I think you have to respect that impact is going to be a little bit in the frame of reference of you and or the founder. But as long as you're transparent around what you're talking about and what they're talking about, you can still sort of make a market in that area. So one is understanding what the what problem the founder wants to solve. Um, uh, and then the second is obviously like, if they solve that, how meaningful is that sort of directionally good for the world or does it directly address an underserved need uh, that someone has, right? And again, that's sort of like gradations of, of impact and people will have different perspectives on, again, what resonates with their own values. Um, so, you know, one example of that is a startup who is uh, directly tackling um, uh, the issue of inequity in schooling. And so is only going to develop a product that is sold into uh, schools that uh, have uh, that support underserved children, right, in order to directly address the education gap. That's that's a very specific type of impact you're going to see there. Uh, another version of that is a founder who is inspired by the opportunity for technology to tackle um, uh, learning challenges, including the education gap, and is developing a technology that's intended to be widely available to students. You know, both can have meaningful outcomes, but their go-to-market strategy um, is going to look different, and therefore you're likely to see different impacts at the end of the day. Does that yep. address yep. your question? Okay. Um, yep. Um, Mass challenge uh, it reminds me uh, a hackathon, but is with big uh, time scope. Uh, okay. What do you think about uh, hackathons? Maybe you use them uh, as a model uh, over uh, boot camps. Uh, what do you personally think about hackathon model? Yep. Um, so that's a, an interesting way to describe mass challenge. I haven't heard that before, so I'm gonna have to noodle on on that specific analogy. Um, so I think hackathons can be a great way to bring people together to start thinking about tough challenges. Um, you know, my hypothesis is that the real benefit of that is creating connections between people who may not otherwise get to work together, which, you know, the research would show has lots of great benefits. If people work on things together, that's actually the most productive form of networking. And then maybe starting to inspire, you know, new ideas or new solutions. Um, you know, my experience would say that breaking through on really tough challenges often requires um, not only sort of that initial insight, but the perseverance and the team to get it, you know, from insight through to fruition. Um, and uh, so in that way, I don't think, you know, hackathons don't ultimately achieve that, but I think they can be a really meaningful way to inspire and connect people. Um, we've certainly heard great anecdotes of founders who met at hackathons and then, you know, developed enough of a bond to go off and create meaningful ventures together. Uh, let's talk about uh, tech nonprofits. A uh, must challenge is one of the rare examples how to use a uh, tech nonprofit model to build uh, incubation or acceleration or tech programs. Yep. And though you mentioned that not so many uh, ventures which participate uh, in must challenge are not uh, tech nonprofits, you still uh, keep this model for themselves. Uh, do you uh, feel that there is some uh, difference in terms of internal culture? Do you feel it uh, maybe in office how people uh, treat each other? 
because anyway, is a more mission-driven venture and uh, project itself, not just a traditional uh, font or, or accelerator. Yep. Um, so certainly I can't speak for other accelerators, but I can say 100% Mass Challenge is first and foremost mission-driven. So, you know, our mission is to solve massive problems through entrepreneurs and innovation more broadly. And so um, our team thinks about that every day. You know, it's it, why we get up to work, how, why the U.S. Uh, granted us our tax status is because it's our role to make a difference in uh, the U.S. and now globally um, uh, through startup activity. Uh, so, you know, how that plays out, one is I think it allows people um, uh, at some cases to go above and beyond sort of the economically rational, right? Because uh, we're uh, not necessarily constrained by a pure profit motive. And so that means if there's additional work that we can be doing for startups or for say the Boston innovation ecosystem more broadly, if we have the team capacity to do it, um, if it, or we can raise the philanthropic funds to do it, we can take that work on because we are empowered to be first and foremost about the mission. Um, and I think that keeps people really inspired. The data around um, today's generation of employees and you know myself included a little bit towards the tail of, of this generation, but um, would say that people want to be working at uh, purpose-driven organizations. And I think Mass Challenge, uh, the benefit of being a nonprofit is that uh, that is 100% what you are. And so the you know battle we have to fight is to make sure the work is you know sufficiently compelling on the other aspects, um, but uh, you know literally 100% of our employees are at Mass Challenge because they feel affiliated with the mission. Uh, do you try to uh, facilitate or evangelize with approach among ventures? I understand what you mostly play a role of platform and uh, competition for them, but anyway, maybe. Uh, you try to say, guys, maybe it makes sense to try the techno profit model. So you mean go to other nonprofits and and try and get them to do more of what we do? Uh, yes. So more than you think, I've been surprised actually. So um, there are some amazing organizations. So ARP, for example, is one of the largest nonprofits in the world and has a whole not innovation group actually. Uh, that's focused on looking out into the world and understanding uh, where technology and or you know startups could have a meaningful play a meaningful role for their members. I recently learned that UNICEF does the same, the Nature Conservancy. Um, so more nonprofits than you might think are looking to technology not only to enhance you know I don't know fundraising effectiveness, but to think about how they can you know extend and advance their mission as well. Um, with that said, coming from you know other nonprofits who weren't particularly focused on the opportunity for technology to extend, amplify their impact and their mission, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's there's certainly nonprofits or there are certainly um, entrepreneurs that I'm seeing who want to tackle similar challenges, but don't have, say, the stakeholder network or the donor base to do so. And that, to me, says there are meaningful opportunities to partner with some of the legacy nonprofits who may have those more traditional assets 
uh, but don't have necessarily the sort of inventor's mindset that could help propel the leap forward that we all need. Uh, let's talk about uh, open programs and technology democratization. I believe one of the best things about uh, Mass Challenge would provide opportunity uh, to participate uh, uh, for participation of projects which are not typically able to, from, uh, to be involved to other programs because we ask about shares or they're uh, not free. Uh, do yeah. you have examples of teams which uh, shared a feedback that uh, dear Mass Challenge, we had no opportunity to demonstrate the world our work due to some limitation, but you, to the fact which you are free, you actually help us. Do you have such examples of teams which actually uh, demonstrate something amazing while we're not able to participate in other programs before? Yeah, so we're, um, we do and we love, we love those stories because they, you know, certainly warm our hearts and then also uh, make us confident that there's real value in the, the no equity model, which can be harder, you know, from a business model perspective. And the, the types of feedback we've heard are sort of one camp are those founders that are coming out of like the lab or the lab equivalent, right? And so they have a really unique technology. They know they have something magical. They have an early hypothesis on, you know, the, the problem they're going to tackle with it. Uh, but they need time to test it and to also refine and test their technology in a real world sense. And so what they will say to us is, uh, thank you for providing the coaching, the network and the expertise I needed to take that commercial journey next step. Um, and also to give me time to understand the financial value of my business before I had to price it and give some of it away. Right. So we, we sort of give them that gift of additional time in addition on to the expertise they need to successfully take that next step. Um, the other folks we see are the ones who are like gritty bootstrapping entrepreneurs, right? And absent mass challenge, um, they might not have the opportunity to gain the network or the mentorship that, uh, that we know is advantageous to startups, right? A huge part of the venture capital model is bringing resources around startups, whether it's the operating partners themselves or the you know, advisor network that the venture capital has, firm has built. And so we provide that same portfolio of resources for early stage startups, um, even those who are bootstrapping. And so wouldn't have another way to access that um, absent mass challenge or you know, another non-equity type program. Uh, I would love to ask you about type of technologies which specifically important for me uh, is uh, assistive technology, uh, technologies related to neuromuscular disorder, uh, disability. Um, I try to keep in touch with many teams in this field. Uh, and one thing that I, may, uh, I noticed that uh, very often while such teams are backed by uh, just a, an amazing minds, talent, uh, very often uh, is a spin-off from Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Hopkins University. They just mm -hmm. not align with the classic uh, venture model, maybe in terms of a market size uh, or a, a, gr a growth pace. And it's just a different story, and they're not able to get an opportunity to get funding or grow in particular pace. So I would love to ask you how often you face such type of teams uh, focus on uh, maybe hard science, medical technologies, assistive technology, because you mentioned what you have a focus on health tech, digital health, but maybe uh, I would love to know more about assistive technology and disability. Yep. 
Um, so I'd have to get back to the specific stats on uh, assistive or disability tech specifically. I know is uh, within this past cohort, about 15% of our applica applicants were in biotech specifically. Um, and that does not necessarily include pharma. So those tend to be the companies that are um, more, you know, engineering and biology. In addition, uh, 10 to 15 percent of our applicants were sort of pharmaceutical uh, startup specifics. So we do see a pretty uh, strong representation in that general life science category. Uh, and you're right, they face a different path than, say, software companies. Um, certainly in the Boston area, there there is both a depth of knowledge and expertise as well as sort of experience investing in these type of companies. Um, it's probably one of the reasons these companies come to Mass Challenge Boston as opposed to elsewhere because the there is a great network to support the early growth and development of these types of companies, which, as you mentioned, um, face numerous hurdles, you know, complying with uh, regulation being one, preparing for trials being two, and then raising the funding required to support all of that uh, being an important one as well. Uh, let's talk about uh, tech ethics and data ethics and related mm -hmm. uh, topics. Uh, recently, uh, we have a growing uh, interest and activity in this field, both uh, in terms of uh, uh, academia, technology world, and policymakers. For instance, MIT has launched uh, the data ethics course for inventors. Yeah. And uh, currently, we try to align work of our engineers with new policies. Is a GDPR in Europe and new laws in the U.S. For instance, if you work on something in uh, related to data science or artificial intelligence, it should be aligned with particular ethics, rules, and policies. I would love to ask you: uh, How is important uh, it uh, for your work? Do you have a this component in your curriculum? Maybe you have boot camps or uh, something in your work. Where help founders to understand ethic component in order to succeed? That's great. Um, so, uh, yes, and I think it's it's in an area that we're increasingly focused on making sure we're sort of thoughtful and proactive about. Um, you know, I think of breaking ethics into two components, sort of one is the leadership and culture, like how is your company going to behave? Um, and that's where I think Mass Challenge can play a role early on in helping founders understand, you know, the types of decisions that they may be faced with earlier later on that they can go left or right on and it can make a big difference. You know, I think the second part of ethics is sort of the, let's call it like the frameworks and particularly as we think of AI, right? What's the ethical framework that's going to be built out around AI in that category, which our founders and their, you know, engineering staff and their product development staff need to be involved in. Uh, we are cheerleaders. We watch it closely. We're not as actively involved in that dimension. Um, on the on the first one, it is so core to our uh, initial day of boot camp is um, an emphasis on leadership broadly. So, right, it's not just about um, starting a great company. It's a founder leading a great company. And that's understanding major decisions that they're going to have to make around culture, people, capital that uh, that can influence them. And then also highlighting where founders can go awry either early or late um, in in uh, in those types of decisions as well. So we think it's a really 
a really important one. It certainly plays back to, you know, my passion on if someone wants to have an impact on the world, uh, uh, certainly it starts with intention, but it has to follow through, obviously, with all the decisions that that let you get there um, and get there in a way that uh, is durable and sustainable over time, which tends to mean um, ethical. Uh, you mentioned that uh, founders' intention is incredibly, is incredibly important for you in order to understand the impact and direction of work. Uh, based on statistics, uh, only 40% of so-called AI startups I actually can be uh, called AI startup because in, in most cases, it's a very simple data-related technology, but there is no such amount of uh, uh, data analysis uh, or uh, so uh, deep uh, algorithm, uh, so we could uh, call it AI startups. I would love to ask you about buzzwords and maybe a bit exaggerated value proposition. How often uh, do you face it in your work when you uh, deal with your teams? And maybe uh, could you mention some interesting and maybe funny examples of the buzzwords or exaggerated value propositions? Yep. Um, great. So I'll you know I'll protect the identities of our of our beloved startups and not share certainly some of the the types of uh, pitches or applications we've seen that are buzzword heavy over the years. Um, uh, yeah, we definitely, I think startups are really smart about that marketing benefit of, you know, um, utilizing bu buzzwords to make sure you're at least in the in bucket, not the out bucket, right? Um, so artificial intelligence, machine learning is 100% up there. We've seen a significant leap in the number of startup applicants uh, who are checking that as a core technology are, as you indicate, you know, our hypothesis is that uh, the extent to which it's actually part of their core technology may vary. Um, but I think that's um, certainly one example of where we're seeing uh, startups uh, lean into those buzzwords uh, to, to make sure that uh, they're seen as sort of front and center and frontier. Um, other other ones we've seen in the past, I mean, blockchain, not as big this year in our applications, but we had definitely seen that one uh, uh, two or three years ago. Uh, so I'm not sure why it's it's down this year, but was a big buzzword a couple of years ago. Um, uh, obviously, it, people still sort of refer to apps um, a lot. So whether you have an application or not, and some of them that may not actually have one ready to go tends to be really big. The coaching we tend to provide startups is obviously that um, folks get smart pretty quick about uh, particularly the folks they want to get funding or expertise from are likely to be pretty smart um, about what's under the hood. And so that they should be pretty thoughtful about how they market themselves. Um, and whether or not they have the product or the capabilities to back up uh, the, you know, external claim. Um, and now I would love to ask you about um, environments. Uh, over my journey, I have a chance to work on technologies related to social networks, but I also uh, have a chance to work with many uh, people who work on uh, such technologies. For instance, just a, a few weeks ago, we talked to a guy who uh, was uh, um, uh, who, who worked on Twitter, and mm -hmm. uh, one of the um, uh, theoretical and practical 
um, ideas behind any kind of environment in the social networks as well is a like-minded or safe environment. So what kind of, a, for instance, a workflow or a, a culture and organization we build is more about like-mindedness or complete uh, safety that uh, safe for any kind of uh, uh, con uh, contradictory ideas. So uh, since you deal with the very different types of teams around the world, different cultures, diff different countries, um, must challenge is more about like-minded, safe, or maybe part a different approach. Yeah, that's so. It's a, this is a really interesting question because, um, as you mentioned, we work with such a diverse array of founders um, from a lot of different backgrounds. So, you know, we have a um, we have a majority of founders with technical backgrounds and graduate degrees for sure. But you know, we have a, a pretty broad, diverse array of founders. Fifty percent are male, fifty percent are female. So we're definitely not only twenty-five-year-old white male coders from San Francisco, right? So. Um, we focus on a couple different things. So one is certainly um, creating like-mindedness through strong expectations. So the idea that if you're a part of Mass Challenge, this is what you're committing to as part of our community. And part of that is um, uh, you know, how you collaborate and work with peers. Uh, part of that is an expectation that you're part of a program that gives to you, and so you need to give back to others. Um, and then part of it is also obviously sort of a level of professionalism and respect. So we put um, high expectations on founders in terms of the intention that they bring to the program and their responsiveness to us and others. Um, we think that creates uh, some sense of community amongst what is otherwise a pretty big um a pretty big ecosystem. Um, the other uh, tool that we use, uh, which uh, many universities will do also, where you have sort of a large number of students um, uh, to help create uh, a sense of psychological safety and also community within those, is we create, we call them wolf packs, but these are small cohorts of founders who are working in more similar categories so they can find that like-mindedness in terms of the challenges they're facing or their backgrounds um, and also uh, you know drive towards more peer support so as uh, you mentioned that may be similar to um, you know a group on Facebook or on LinkedIn this idea that you can sort of build stronger community amongst people that you get to know better you open up to as an individual and that may um, have really relevant thoughts or expertise that they can bring to bear on on your challenges. What have you seen? I'm interested. Um, if you would recommend. Um, it's, 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 it's an interesting question. Yes, it, it's a it's a it's a pretty uh, close to my mindset, and basically, what's why I ask you because. Um, when I, one of the most interesting experiences in terms of uh, safety against like-minders uh, was when I mentored program in Middle East and this program between Israel and Palestine. And it was a program that uh, was uh, presented by 50% women, 50% men, 50% uh, people from Israel, 50% from Palestine, uh, complete uh, equality. But at the same time, um, wipes of a program and everything was a completely uh, 
free of any kind of a restriction and limitation. It was uh, uh, full of uh, funny vibes, energy. Uh, there is no any kind of a restriction in terms of what people are able to say, maybe have fun on uh, other participants. And it was uh, so unique in terms of how people uh, work on something. So. Another thing I would love to mention was it was driven by hackathon. So people were so focused on actual work, not yeah. some kind of uh, ideas what's different between us. No, we're focused on what's common between us. So, and it's a kind of a basis for a collaborative approach and like-minded approach. So I believe that instead of thinking about uh, patterns of people, uh, what you have, what we have, we're mostly focused on problem. Uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, and we just have no time uh, to thinking about something else. And it make me make us much more efficient. Uh, and we explore our like mindedness just over this process. Yeah. Uh, which what I believe in. Yeah. Work, work, work. <laughs> Yes, exactly. It keeps you from being distracted by the by the less important. Part. Because when you push people in artificial way, like uh, you should uh, uh, be friendly with this person just because it's just a kind of a artificial uh, pressure. Uh, it's like a, something we uh, we can face in Eastern Europe uh, in, in the period of the Soviet Union. It, it didn't work. It didn't work in this way. I I, I believe in something genuine. People actually created as a collaborative uh, creature, it's just a part of a history. And, yeah. uh, you, you, and when you avoid any kind of a pressure, but create an environment, which is why I ask you about environment, uh, it's, it's the key. It's uh, like a, a game rule. And if it's a fair, it's equal initially, without any kind of double standards. It's actually equal, it's a fair, and we have the outcome. It's a kind of a key goal and challenge we solve. It works brilliant, yep. brilliantly. Yeah, So right. what's what I believe in. And my final question I have about COVID-19 and must challenge. Um, a pandemic affected many accelerators and they gone uh, in rem remote way. For instance, 500 startups, tech stars tried to uh, launch uh, remote uh, boot camps, programs. Uh, how did a pandemic affect your work? Uh, do you see that you plan, for instance, completely go in remote way uh, or, or after pandemic, you plan to <laughs> combine different approaches? How exactly it affect your vision, both in a short-term and long-term perspective? Yep. Um, so 100% uh, in the near term, it's had a meaningful impact on how we would typically do business. Uh, so under the normal circumstances, uh, we have startups working in our space. So we're fortunate to have significant square footage down in the innovation district in Boston. So we have 100 startups working in our space. We bring experts on site. We do large scale events, small scale networking. Uh, to uh, throughout you know, the course of our accelerator. Um, in light of COVID, we are, uh, we are currently operating virtual in programs that have, that are up and running. So our digital health program, our FinTech program uh, will finish out their cycle virtual. Our program in Israel uh, launched and is very successfully running virtual. And for our flagship Boston program, we are planning to be virtual so that we can make sure uh, regardless of sort of whether you're in a 
uh, state or country that's at phase one, phase four of opening, no phases of opening, you can have an equal opportunity to participate and benefit from the program. Um, I am optimistic that we are going to, uh, that this is gonna push sort of the performance frontier for us. I think we're already seeing that uh, there are benefits to a virtual approach. We, as I mentioned, we just finished our, what we typically refer to as our in-person round of judging virtually. And I think from, it allowed us to have judges participate from around the world and they would, you know, typically be, have to be based in Boston. So that, you know, that's a benefit to our startups period, uh, much less the sort of logistical benefits. I think it's also causing us to be uh, creative, ambitious, in terms of uh, the types of content we can deliver, how we do it in a way that's compelling. Um, it gives us the opportunity to think about how we make content available in the future for startups. So start to really build out that library of content, which may be um, more efficient for startups to access on an as needed basis. So we're excited about the way that it's uh, pushing us and probably other accelerators to move past what I would say is the accelerator 1.0 model into sort of the the future. Um, with that said, uh, you know I absolutely hope we get back to a place where there's some hybrid delivery. I think there is magic and the opportunity for um, people to work together in person, uh, uh, whether that's mentor to startup, whether that's startup to startup. Um, we certainly, for our team, it's super energizing to be around startups, so we will miss that in the near term. Uh, but I think we are choosing to be um, optimistic that, that this is going to really push us forward. The other way um, that COVID is, uh, you know, again, in a good way, sort of uh, re-energizing Mass Challenge is that we were founded uh, at the, you know, on the backs of the Great Recession in 2009, um, with the belief that startups would play a meaningful role in economic recovery and that um, Massachusetts at the time needed an organization that was really committed to helping founders launch and grow their businesses so that they could go on to have the meaningful impact in the world that we think they can have. And so um, we think, you know, now more than ever that that mission is relevant. Um, we are seeing our founders play you know, roles at the front line in this crisis stage. We have many founders who are working hand in glove with um, with governments to deliver um, technology tracing applications, um, face mask or ventilator solutions. Um, and as we look to the future, I think we are optimistic that uh, startups and founders will also play a role in helping fuel recovery. And so I think that keeps us pretty energized and we're very open-minded to how we can continue to scale our work to be ready for that uh, next phase of work. Uh, and before we completing uh, our session, I believe that uh, there are at least uh, two of the most impactful inventions uh, we have. First is the internet, because uh, it helps us to be connected. And second uh, is the open knowledge platforms like uh, Wikipedia, because it's created, um, uh, help us uh, to get a right uh, of a free knowledge and is an essential human right. Uh, in your opinion, uh, what's the top inventions or the, the most impactful inventions which really uh, make you believe uh, in impact in technology and motivate your work? 
a great question. I mean, I think you picked um, two really good uh, platforms. You know, the other one which I would put up there is the um, handheld computer or our, our smartphone, right? I think that has enabled a tidal wave of innovation that not only makes, um, you know, my everyday life more convenient, but is providing a meaningful opportunity, particularly for those in underserved worlds to access new information, educational content, pricing data so that they can have power in negotiations with suppliers. Um, uh, so that to me is has uh, been a pretty important and impactful addition over the past 10 years. And finally, what would you say someone who would love to participate in Must Challenge, an upcoming cohort? Oh, as a founder? Uh, as a founder, yes. Um, so I would say come apply. So we are committed in our process um, to getting you feedback. So every single founder who applies gets written feedback from the judges on eight major dimensions of your business. Um, and so we have founders who may not feel as though they're ready yet, but they apply, they get feedback and they apply again the next year and they get in, right? And so even the act of applying can help advance your business because it's going to force you to put on paper what is only in your head or or on a slideshow you've only showed your roommate so far. Uh, so we would say 100% apply. We would say get involved now. So come to our events, come uh, meet existing founders, start to benefit from the energy and the opportunity to being involved in the entrepreneurial network. Go to your local entrepreneur um, ecosystem events in Boston, like a venture cafe to begin to get involved. Um, and then, you know, reach out. We talk to founders all the time. We're happy to talk to you. We want to hear your ideas. Uh, and uh, when we can, we'll be helpful. Caitlin, thank you so much for your time. Stay safe yeah, and stay you. healthy. Fun. Yeah, thank you. You too. Sure. And we'll be in touch. Okay.